Washington loses a shocker in Palo Alto. Just a flat performance, and the Ducks take control of the Pac-12 North. You truly, truly hate to see it. Uh, he's Eric. I'm Warren. This is Eligible Receivers. So let's start the show. Hello, blog fans. Ineligible receiver. Offense number 64. By rule, that penalty is disregarded. is Eligible Receivers, the show where we review last week's Pac-12 action pick, next week's Pac-12 games against the spread, and keep track of how we're doing on our picks over the course of the season. Uh, so we're going to start it off at Folsom Field. We've got surprising 3-1 Colorado, 1-0 in conference, hosting surprising 3-1 Arizona, 1-0 in conference. One of these teams kind of putting themselves on an inside track for a bowl game, and we had a football game. Buffs, Khalil Tate back in action. He throws for 400 yards. Three tugs, Arizona 35-30. Yeah, Khalil Tate, uh, seemingly healthy, but maybe not running healthy, but certainly uh, the arm looked good. That's a nice stat line with the 400-plus yards in the air. And, I mean, we talked about last week this is going to be a fun game, and it was. Uh, we were all on the wrong side of it, but still a fun game nonetheless. And, uh, you know, I mean, Arizona's still one yard short of being undefeated, so, you know, not not having a bad year at all. Yeah, not at all. You got you got to love him, man. Like, yeah, because I like people were talking about Kevin Sumlin's a joke, da 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 da, whatever, man. And then yeah, they're they're fighting. <laughs> what people are you talking about? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I was saying it, you know, whatever. I wasn't like sitting there being like, "How dare you?" <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I was like, "Yeah, probably is." Yeah, I I mean, I thought it was a joke. I didn't think there was any chance he was going to succeed, but yeah. he succeeded as we speak. Yeah. So you got to take that. Uh... Yeah, maybe on the other end of the spectrum, Chip Kelly at UCLA, they hosted the mighty Oregon State Beavers. And here come the Beavs, folks. Here come the goddamn Beavs. 21-0 in the first quarter. They didn't look back. 48-31 to winners. Five touchdowns for Jake Luton. And Oregon State has been needing to win one of these games. They've been in a few games this year. Uh, and they get a big road win, big Pac-12 win for Jonathan Smith and the boys. Yeah, I, I mean, don't look now, but John John Smith's got that offense cranking, and well, I imagine we'll talk about that a little bit later in the yeah. show, and another uh, institution comes up to discuss. But John, I mean, they certainly don't have the horses right now to compete in the the Pac-12 North or the or the conference, but they've they've got something you know something percolating on offense. They they put up a lot of points and are getting it done on that side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, in the last heck, man. Like between the last that in eighteen last year they actually won against Colorado in conference. They did not win a conference game in two thousand seventeen. Uh and they won small little handful. Uh they won three in sixteen. But it's like the Pac twelve wins have been few and far between for the Beavs. So uh big deal for them and yeah. Uh incredibly impressive. After, you know, they they've had pieces, you know. I remember Last season, I want to say, when they opened up against Ohio State and got absolutely crushed, there were a couple weird times I looked up at the screen and an Oregon State player was running for like a 75-yard touchdown. And it was that Pierce guy who's still on the roster. Yeah, and Jamar Jefferson or whatever, right? He, yeah. He, yeah. They have – they they kind of have some guys. You know what I mean? They're like – they're uh, so good for Jonathan Smith. Nobody stays good forever. Nobody stays down forever. They're – they will have a decent team at some point in the future. It's just bound to happen. Next up, Oregon hosted Cal. And Cal had the upper hand for a lot of this game. Oregon, uh, late third quarter, 
turned it around. They managed to score the only 17 points in the second half to turn around their halftime deficit. Oregon, 17-7 to winners. They do not cover. This is one of those games where you can tell that the Cal coaching staff spent all week getting Devon Modster in a place where he could do like two things competently, right? Yep. And and it came out and it sort of worked, right? And Oregon was taken aback by this guy who the prior week, you know, coming in on injury duty, looked completely befuddled and and over in over his head. All of a sudden looked semi competent at you know at that position. But it was fool's gold because he, they literally he had two you know he had like two things that he could do and as soon as Oregon adjusted to take those two things away albeit in the third quarter it took him longer to adjust you know than you would think but they got it and and that was it I mean he was done he was done making forward progress and really at that point I mean I would say from like the middle of the second quarter on it was more or less just a matter of time until Oregon's offense finally punched it in a couple of times and they were going to win the game. But Cal definitely covered up on this game. I mean, there was a 20-point spread or whatever, and, you know, Cal got way inside the number. Yeah, Cal's backup is good. And, and if they have Chase Garbers, they're a legit team. So, like, if you're uh, uh, a Washington fan with uh, two losses and a dream, uh, you hope Utah gets them before Chase Garbers can get back, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I – I am confident moving forward that they're going to have a lot of trouble on offense with Devon Monster because, again, you know, a coaching staff can do so much to get a guy prepared to run a couple of plays. You know, a lot of teams can come out on their first drive and look pretty good. But as soon as the defense gets the flavor and the coordinators get the flavor for what you're trying to do, if you don't have an auxiliary plan or players who can make adjustments as well on the fly, then, then it gets shut down. And you see that all the time in college. And you saw that with Monster, and now he's put a whole game's worth of film, you know, to go with the half a game that he played the prior week. I, I don't think that competent opponents are going to really struggle to stop Cal's offense. Now, their defense may be good enough to keep him in every game that they play from here on out. Yeah. But any team that scores 17 points on Cal until Garbers gets back, you got to assume is going to be in, a, in the driver's seat to win that game. Yeah. All right. And that brings us to Stanford hosted Washington. Uh, Stanford depleted, uh, missing quarterbacks left and right. Their starter in this game ended up going out. Uh, but Washington just could not get anything done on offense. Uh, 13 points for the game. Stanford 23 to 13 winners. And you have to say kind of the final score flatters Stanford or flatters Washington rather. Yeah. I, I, I mean, what would you say that Washington's offensive plan was here? Well, how long I, I, here's what I would say if, if I'm trying to be diplomatic about things, their plan was to run about 20 more plays than they ended up running. Okay. Uh, uh, they got behind the game. Uh, and then Jacob Eason never really got going a ghastly game for him. 16 of 36. Uh, with a touchdown and an interception for just 200 yards. Uh, I, I definitely feel like in the BYU game, I kind of saw that coming, right? We talked about it the week after. Like, those windows aren't going to be there. Like, you just can't muscle the ball into those into those slots against competent defenses. 
And now, I mean, he doesn't even look at anybody other than Fuller. He had 17 targets for Fuller in this game. Hunter Bryant was completely absent. And I don't know if you saw it, but I definitely saw shades of of Browning, like standing in the pocket, frozen, like can't can't pull the trigger. Which to me, if that's happening to Eason the way that it happened to Browning, uh that may not be on the player. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a possibility too. I don't think anybody's been uh, especially enamored with uh, Bush Hamden uh, in his uh, brief reign as offensive coordinator. Yeah, I mean, I think the when Washington has scored a ton of points, it's because the defense has chipped in and it's because special teams has chipped in. Uh, the Washington game plan is... Uh, get up early and coast, uh, and when that, which to their credit, happens a lot, uh, but sometimes it doesn't happen, and the offense in particular uh, has uh, proven unable to kind of adapt on the fly. I saw a statistic that says Washington, when losing at halftime, has lost 15 of their last 16 games. That doesn't surprise me, honestly. pretty damning for the coaching staff, I would say. Um, yeah, you think so too, because like on the flip side, I mean, I mean, maybe I must've just been looking at it wrong because I had had that impression that Washington just lost a bunch of close games, but actually Chris Peterson is a good handful of games over 500 and one score games at Washington. But yeah, you're right. They, they don't, they don't turn it around, you know, they go in with the plan and if the plan doesn't work, they stick with the plan until the, until the game ends and we, we lose. It's, it's, you know, you have to wonder at this point, what, because Chris Peterson going into this season acknowledged that the offense was, you know, needed to be fixed last year and they were going to have a plan. Of course, he wouldn't tell anybody what the plan was, but, you know, he acknowledged as much to say that the offense needed some help and needed some working. And you're looking at it now and you don't see it, right? Like yep. you don't see whatever the plan, whatever the plan was, whatever the fix was, you know, you've got four, you know, really good running backs, I would say, or, or three really good running backs, and, and Corey Pleasant's not far off that. Um, you've got a fantastic offensive line. You've got the tight end that will be the first tight end drafted in the NFL draft this year, I believe. Um, I can't imagine. Can you imagine someone's going to take another tight end before Hunter Bryant goes? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the only thing about him is uh, he's kind of like wide receiver-sized. Is he? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I mean, he's just – that guy's a beast. He's a beast, uh, but he's short. So, like, I think they might. He might end up being like kind of. I think it'd be interesting to see if they could turn him into what Marcel Reese actually got out a good career. Uh, as like, <laughs> like a, a decade of that, <laughs> like as a fullback. You know what I mean? Because yeah. he, he just wasn't quite tight end size. They got Hunter Bryant listed at six two two thirty nine, which isn't quite up to snuff as a tight end in the NFL. Well, in college, he's he's unstoppable and should yeah. get and should get 10 targets a game because every time you put the ball on him, I mean, now he hasn't caught a couple of them, but for the most part, he catches the ball. And then, you know, he falls forward for a minimum of seven yards. It, it's ridiculous that he would get one catch in that game. Savan Ahmed had six carries. Like you just look at, you just look at it and you're like, what in the hell were you doing? I, I don't get it, you know? And, and there was no adjustment to be made at any point in time. And I, and, to be fair, we sh- we can also turn around and say to Jimmy Lake, like, what was your plan playing a backup quarterback with a uh, offensive line starting two, and by the end of the game, three true freshmen on it, 
Um, and they just completely dominated time of possession, just marched up and down the field. Yeah. Had- oh, yeah. I mean, they had 482 total yards in this game. That's the other thing is that, like, for Washington's offensive was, the defense surrendering 23 points to this game, to this Stanford team, is almost more surprising. Uh, because, like, just because we've seen Washington's offense lay eggs before. But Washington's defense... The, I was I was thinking after the game like we've I feel like all year we've been blitzing to create pressure, uh, which has only sporadically worked at best, right? Uh, and for the most part, it's just putting extra pressure on our uh, uh, on our DBs uh, and not generating enough tackles for loss. the o- The only way I will end up being fine with that is if we continue to do it next week against uh, Arizona and hopefully eke one out, and then. Uh, we don't blitz once against Oregon for like a tendency breaker. <laughs> yeah. Like that. Cause that's it. Cause otherwise it is uh, the reward hasn't been there for, uh, you know, taking defenders out of pass coverage. Well, I'll say this. You and I kind of joked when they lost to Cal about how we could just kind of sit back and enjoy the rest of the season, not having to worry about the playoff. And I'll tell you what, they, they won up to me because I did not enjoy that game. That yeah. Was, that was not enjoyable. By any definition of the term, I was pretty much just from the second quarter on, just like, what what are you doing? Like what is what on earth are you doing? Yeah. And what was what was uh so frustrating about it is because they were tantalizingly close to just accidentally making it a game again, you know? Yeah. Uh for large swaths of the second half. And uh yeah, it's just golly <laughs> not, not too great guys i would say first and foremost with the coaches and then obviously the players in charge of executing but i mean this in in my opinion this game is a hundred percent on the coaching you know in the coach yeah side. and then especially i'm thinking about the fourth and one earlier in the third quarter when they were in uh uh you know reasonable like low 40s high 30s field goal range for our kicker who has not missed a kick yet this year right yeah. uh and elected to go for it uh, got the running back out of there because it's good when you're a yard to go and the defense can just say, oh, well, we don't have to worry about this being a running play uh, yeah. and ran a uh, slant to Andre Bocelli, who uh, is not Hunter Bryant or Aaron Fuller, uh, which did, you know, went incomplete. And then you're thinking the rest of the game, that field goal would have tied it at that point, by the way, at 13. And you're just yeah. like, why? What? I mean, I like I like it when coaches go for it on fourth and one, I suppose. But when, especially when you're averaging about four or five yards a carry, which they were. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. know, you, you gotta you gotta play for that, particularly when your quarterback is six six two thirty, and you you know you're getting some forward push. You probably could just sneak it. Yeah. Um, and get it. Like, go ahead and do that. You know. But yeah, instead, you, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's uh, that that was that was kind of it's it's weird because it's out of character because so much of the time Washington's offense is like overly conservative, but then we're just gonna go balls. Yeah, it's like it's like uh, I think you talked about this last week. It's kind of like the difference between being aggressive or being like being aggressive with a purpose. You know what I mean? Yeah, just just calling a dumb play so you can say you're aggressive versus like actually picking spots where it makes sense to take your shot. And working it into the game plan, like you know, that fourth and one, like you said, get the points and and tie the game and put the pressure on the backup, 
to, to drive his team down the field again and, and, you know, give your defense, which arguably is the best unit in the game, a level playing field again. Or if you're not going to do that and you're going to go aggressive, line up and follow your 6'6 quarterback and your All-American left tackle and your senior center, you know, and your stud left guard. Like, follow him, follow them for three feet and then keep going on the drive. Yeah, and uh, uh, regarding Washington's offense, did you see the Nick Harris quote after the game? I did not. Uh, he just said he was like, uh, you know, he was like they game planned for us. Uh, it, like he essentially said that they they the Stanford's defensive coaches outcoached our offensive coaches. Well, no shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but usually people keep that kind of thing pretty tight. Well, yeah. Usually though, you. Yeah, I mean, I you wouldn't have to be a rocket scientist to have come to that conclusion, but you're right, Nick, for one of the starting players to say that is something. Yeah. All righty. Uh, so last week, so you kind of touched on how we did on picks, right? How did you do? I, I didn't, I touched on it before we started, but oh, I okay. will I'll revisit that now. Um, I did bad. I did not win a game. I went on four. You dominated relative to the, everybody else. You went 500, two and two. Yeah. Your Cal Oregon state picks coming through for you. And Worm went one and three, uh, correctly uh, picking Cal. And then, um, uh, like you and I, were on the wrong side with Colorado, uh, UCLA, and, our, and then with me, who was on the wrong side with UCLA. And then we all were on the wrong side of UW. So 0 and 4 for me, 2 and 2 for you, 1 and 3 for Worm. On the season, I am 28 21. You are 31 and 18, back out to your three game lead. And Worm is at 25 and 24. Oof, man, it's close. It's it close. Is. All right, here we go. Uh, let's get you know clean slate. Everybody, take a breather. Colorado's going to Oregon on Friday night. I hate road Friday night teams, but a twenty and a half point spread. I don't. Oregon went and played Stanford, and they scored twenty one points. Oregon put up seventeen points against Cal. I mean, what game this year against you know not Nevada, um, and not you know an FCS team has Oregon really you know blown the doors off of like a power five team and put up a bunch of points to win by 21 points i i, I haven't seen it i'm gonna take the buffs i like that pick a lot it makes a lot of sense i'm gonna i'm gonna take uh the ducks here i want them i want them fat and happy yeah i mean you know i that's what was my thinking last week with them at, with cal at home and cal being a wounded animal but they just their their offense just doesn't look. It looks kind of like he does, honestly, like a little. Hurt. Yeah, exactly. It really does. It looks like they don't really know exactly what they're doing. But their defense is so good that it, it or is playing so good that they, you know, they could completely nullify Monster. I don't know that they're going to be able to completely nullify Colorado's offense, and it, and they don't need to nullify it. But I mean, if Colorado can score 14, 17 points, I mean, then their Oregon's offense has to put up like forty almost to cover. So, yeah. Uh, Anyways, um, next game, ASU, home game against WSU. I, I looked about an hour ago, and the line was even. Yeah, it's still showing as even. This game, well, it looks like the weather's come down. A noon start in uh, Tempe. Wow. <laughs> this is outside. Yeah. Now, and now it's fall here, but in Arizona, it's still hot. Like – 
they're they're saying at 89 degrees at kickoff as of right now. I think when this thing was announced, it was looking like it was going to be 95 at kickoff. 126. Yeah, yeah it's going to be hot on the field in this game. Uh, Arizona State, all of a sudden, potentially the second best team in the conference. You know, like. Yeah, I mean, and, and Herm is just hermed it up, and you know, Leach, I hasn't had his. I mean, his defensive coordinator, Tracy Clays, just flat out quit last week. Yeah. Um, and Leach has sort of claimed to be befuddled by it and didn't understand what his reasoning was and didn't really get an explanation, which is kind of damning, to be honest, if that's true. Yeah. But he's just like, I just screw it. I'm out. Um, but, uh, you know, it just – I don't know. WSU, to me, is in, a, is in a bad place right now, and I don't know that going to the desert to play a ASU team that's feeling pretty good about itself is, is like your get-right game. I got I got the Cougs on a get right game this week. <coughs> I, right. I I think they're ready. They had they had a nice buy. They have simplified some things on defense. They're saying I think we'll get uh, four new starters on defense. I'm saying confidence. Uh, WSU getting back into their winning ways. They're gonna they're gonna be chucking the ball all over. Arizona State's gonna have trouble kind of keeping even with them on the scoreboard. Uh, I like the Cougs in that one. All right. All right, next up, NBC National Television. USC travels to Notre Dame, where Notre Dame are an 11-point favorite. That seems low. Yeah, this is a big-time coaching mismatch. Um, give me Notre Dame, please. Yeah, I'll take it also. And that's going to be a, a live a live gym, as I like to say. I think Notre Dame's going to roll in this one. Here is the game that I'm most interested in. Not necessarily the game itself, but the spread. Oregon State, home, Utah, coming in, Utah, 13-and-a-half-point road favorites. Is that right? That is right. Ooh. These bees can play offense. Yeah, that's a – I – okay. I had thought – I had misread the schedule. I thought it was going to be Oregon State and Cal this week, which I would have been like, they got the wrong team favored. Uh, but this is interesting – because Utah did score on what I think is a, a similar defense in WSU uh, two weeks ago, right? Right. So that would that would suggest that you know Oregon State you have to hold them under twenty four or two twenty four to cover this line twenty four thirty eight, which is a real football score. Yep, would be Utah covering this. Jeez, I, I give me the beeves, man. Oh, I like it. I like it. I, I'm, I'm gonna take. I, I got in, got a win, got a dub with the beeves last week. I'm gonna step back for a second. I acknowledge they're improved, but I'm gonna take Utah on this one. Love it. All right, and that brings us to the last one. Washington going to the desert. 8 p.m. kick. Uh, dogs are six and a half point favorites against their Arizona team that has a better record than them, both overall and in conference. Uh. We're all going to take Washington. Uh, and I think it's plausible that Washington wins the game. Yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, they're going to simplify They're going to simplify the offense. And, and I mean, you and I have talked about this actually on multiple occasions during the Browning era. There were long stretches in time where the only time the offense really looked good was when they went two minutes, right, when they went two-minute drill. Hurry up. And that's because you're simplifying everything and everybody just sort of cut it loose. And – you're gonna. I think you're gonna see that again because I think the one 
recurring theme I see over and over and over again in social media and listen to it. And I mean, which means it's everywhere, which means the coaching staff is hearing it is that the offense is, is needlessly complicated. Um, and, and if that's true, like, man, that pisses me off because if you go back and look at the, like the teams that have won the national championship in the last couple of years, like they have this most simple offenses. You know what I mean? Even Chip Kelly in his heyday at Oregon, like that offense was super simple. It just went fast, but really Marcus Mariota was making like one decision at the line of scrimmage and then the play was off and going and that was it. Yeah. Uh, and so if you're telling me that Chris Peterson, you know, in, in all of his infinite wisdom saw and has seen the way that college offense has been played in the last 20 years and has come up with the conclusion that we need to run a full pro style offense that integrates every aspect of a professional playbook. Like what a, what an insane misstep that was, if that was his decision. Yeah. I mean, I think the problem is, is that uh, what do you get lauded for? First of all, he had unimpeachable success at Boise and has been extremely successful at Washington doing what he does. So it's hard to get a guy like that to change, even though he could be better, you know? Uh, yeah. And there's like, a, like, this is a weird baseball comp, but there's a dude, Eric Hosmer, who was on the Royals team that won the World Series, and then he signed a big contract with San Diego, right? Yeah. Uh, this guy, uh, his, uh, there's been something in baseball like the last few years called the launch angle revolution, right? Where people just try and hit the ball in the air because, uh, you know, a ball on the ground has an expected batting average of 250. Ball in the air has an expecting batting average of like 333, and a line drive has an expected batting average of like 600 or something like that. You know, uh-huh. but also like people, everybody's just strong enough to get out. So everybody's just selling out to get the ball in the air, trying to hit it over the fence, and that's why strikeouts are way up, and that's why home runs have spiked. And there, and people have always thought that Eric Hosmer has not changed his approach at all. Has one of the lowest uh, fly ball rates in the league. Do kind of smashes the ball into the ground a lot, but he's an exceptional contact hitter, right? So. He kind of has his season, some good, some bad, but there's a thought that he could be a million times better if he just committed to a different approach. But the problem is he has already signed a contract for $125 million and won the World Series. So, like, how could you ever convince him to change? Yeah, I agree. Why would you change? <laughs> yeah, he's like... But, I mean, I would counter that by saying that Chris Peterson has, has not won a national championship. Yeah, and, and has won the Pac-12 title game a couple times, has gotten into big games and not won them, you know, I would and, – and every single time the holdup has been the offense, you know, against Alabama, the offense against Penn State, the offense against, you know, the last year against Ohio State in the Rose Bowl, you know, the offense – The offense takes three quarters to get started. Get started. And so it's – I mean, it's a recurring theme. So I get what you're saying, and I agree that, that Chris Peterson's success – at Boise, you know, would lead you to be pretty confident. But I, I would also – I mean, he's not a dumb guy. He should he should be able to see what's going on here and make an informed decision that, you know, the only time the offense under his tenure was truly rolling was when Jeff Tedford was, you know, an offensive, like, consultant. Uh, and then after he left, it's been a slow decline ever since. So it's time to, like, try something new. Yeah, I agree with that. All right. Uh, anything else to add? No, not really. You know, it was a bummer-ass game. Yeah, it sucked, man. It made me upset, and I didn't like it. And uh, But, you know, that's why I watch, just so I can get mad. I can be upset with, with everything. 
Yeah, all right. Uh, that does it for this week's eligible receivers. Thanks for listening, everybody. For Eric, I'm Warren. Uh, we will see you next week. Bye.